0: Hi, welcome back. I am your host, Nita Wilkinson, and I am so blessed today to have Aaron Wright with us. He is the author of the book, 13 Doors. That is awesome, by the way. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah,
1: thanks, Nita. I appreciate it. I'm happy to be here.
0: So I read your book, and you and your you, first of all, I should say, we live in Ohio, but you live in California.
1: I do, yeah.
0: It was not an easy process for you all. No. no. Tell me a little bit about that time in your life when you started to take Julia. Julia is your daughter. She has autism. When you took her to school, the many, many obstacles that you and Lisa faced.
1: Um, Yeah. It's uh, depending upon how kind of far you go back. I mean, I think both kids had a pretty fun childhood. I mean, I love both of us loved being their parent. the The real kind of strife, if that's what you want to call it, really happened when we had to engage the public education system uh, on behalf of Julia and Magda in the book um, to access special education. But I really, I'm glad. Hey, I'm glad you liked the story. Um, by the time she was probably kindergarten, first grade, I'd really kind of become a professional complaint writer. So I'm not sure how familiar you are with the special education process or that system, but it's it's not an easy process to navigate. Yeah. The most folks, if they have experience with disability, tends to be exposure to maybe adults and maybe the Americans with Disabilities Act uh, which is kind of a parallel law to the law that supports children in education, but it acts a little bit differently. So special education really is a one-on-one focus with your child, which sounds great, uh, but comes with a whole host of, of issues that can make it really complicated for people trying to navigate it. Example being, you know, if someone um, is physically disabled, For example the ada requires uh you know wheelchair ramp or braille on an atm machine or uh, i'm not sure what the laws are like in ohio but i'm sure there's something similar where you know crosswalks have to have audible audible signaling all of those type of accommodations or modifications to the environment that have to be there for disabled people that doesn't necessarily exist in the same way in an educational setting so regardless of whether or not you've you know, gone to the DMV or you have a note from your doctor or you've gone through some sort of hoop, anyone can access a wheelchair ramp. Right. right? Anyone can use braille. You don't need to get a note permission slip to, to use the braille. Right. right? All, all of those kind of, and it tends to be uh, disabilities that are maybe more physical in nature tend to be accommodated, and I'm not saying it's perfect because it's far from it, but there tends to be an anticipatory process in place, right? So we anticipate that someone in a wheelchair may need to access this building, so we're going to provide a ramp preemptively. Right. Someone in a wheelchair may never access that building, but it is there, right, in case, it is there for that disabled person. That doesn't exist in education. In education, you almost, it's almost like an application. You have to jump through a million different hurdles and meet certain quote-unquote qualification criteria for your school district to identify your child as being quote-unquote disabled. The problem with that is that those tools can be equally used to, to kind of deny access. So it's it's, and you can't share, like there's no reciprocity. So what we may have thought for, for our daughter, those accommodations, those modifications, all of that, that only exists for us. That doesn't carry across for other children who might have, might be dealing with similar issues. Wow. They, have to, they have to fight that fight or deal with that system on their own as an individual. And so it's, it can be really isolating the process
0: Absolutely. Um, I could tell that in your book. Yeah. At one point you said in the book, our whole family has autism, being isolated. This was even before school, I think, just because it was so hard to go out.
1: Well, it's, yeah, and I, I, and I, there's, the way, I guess there's the way I meant it in my head and maybe the way it comes across on paper. I don't mean it uh, in a disparaging way at all. Right. Um, it, it's, um, you know, we had been effectively kind of ostracized. So I'm not sure how it was when you were a kid, but you know, when I was in elementary school, anyone who was disabled, um, they just didn't exist.
0: Right. Right,
1: in my, mm-hmm. right? right? And really, it wasn't until around the time I was born, which, and by the time it finally caught up, like they finally started to implement and some of that stuff, it was years later where disabled children really weren't, there was no obligation to allow them to actually be in public education. Right. Right. So the the in fact the school districts were allowed to effectively discriminate, saying no, you know, you just your your needs, and I'm going to say that politely because you, that's not the language which would have been used. Exceed our capabilities here, and right. you, you have to stay at home or you need to be institutionalized. So it. The, when I said that in the story, it really is a kind of a a, a way of being labeled as other, mm-hmm. or being being separated out from uh, quote unquote everyone the normal group or everyone else and being allowed to participate. Yeah, which and was hard.
0: I to- I totally got that from it because it yeah. it was within the context of you were going to visit other parents of children like Magda in the book, um, and and you felt like. You just wanted to. You just wanted to take your wife out to dinner, <laughs> yeah. and at that time, it was really difficult to be able to do that. So you were talking yeah. about the public education and um, all the hurdles. Why in this at this time do you think they put those hurdles there? It, it, was it rules? Was it um, they didn't want to deal with that? I mean, it, in the story, it is a um what's the word i want to use definitely a higher class school or they want you to think they are anyway so i don't know if it was like that throughout all of california or just in this school
1: um yeah so my wife actually does uh, advocacy for parents navigating this process and i can tell you both in some of the stuff that i've researched and a lot of folks that i've talked to and the work that she's done this is not Isolated to one state or one county or one school district. This is okay. a, a nat, this is a national issue. Really, I think what it I think the intent behind the law originally was one of inclusivity, which part of the law talks about children being educated in the least restrictive environment possible, which is laudable, right? That's a noble that's a noble ask or yeah. a noble ideal to have. The reality is that our schools typically are so poorly funded that Mm -hmm.
0: they
1: they can't actualize that. They can't make that a reality for so many children. And so what it really becomes is those things that we're supposed to lift up our kids and actually allow them to be in the classroom as you know, sitting alongside their non-disabled peers really became boundaries for families to access those services. And those services, unfortunately, it's just the reality, cost money. Right? Like uh, speech th- having a employing a speech therapist at a school costs money. Employing an occupational therapist at a school costs right. money. Employing, you know, classroom aides costs money. And you know, with ever shrinking budgets and, you know, ever increasing costs, things get squeezed. One of the things that I believe was still in the the, the final edit of the book, uh, what I caught early on, and this is before I even started writing the manuscript, is there are, throughout the state of California, I can't imagine it's any different in other states, there are agencies that will go through at a district's request and say, I, I need a financial audit, right, I need a, right. how, how healthy is my is my system, and one of the things that this group did, and they did it across the state, is to go through and say, you know what, the best way to reduce the amount of money that you're spending in special education is to reduce the number of children being enrolled in special education. So if you look, I mean, even if you just do straight statistical comparison, if you, if you believe the data that you know, 20 to 25% of children are disabled in some way, shape, or form, and then you look at the percentages of children that are actually enrolled in special education, there's a big gap,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? And, so, and what are the kids that make up that gap? So part of the story really was, really the crux of why I wrote it was, look how hard we had to fight just so that we didn't fall into that gap. And what about the kids and families that don't have the means and resources and the ability to, to, to really push back in the way that we did and the, the story, um, it, the book is dedicated to Max Benson, I don't know if he caught that up, up at the front, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with this story. But as I was kicking the book around in my head, you know, there was a couple families that really kind of came to mind for me, that I knew that what we were doing wasn't perfect. And I knew that the situation obviously wasn't perfect. And our daughter really wasn't having her needs met, but there were other families that were so much worse off and just didn't have the ability to kind of, they keep using the word fight back. I hate that because it it shouldn't be a fight, right? It should be an ongoing kind of relationship with your district, but it it really becomes kind of this locking horns. In any event, because we were, I think such strong advocates, we didn't fall into some of the gaps that a lot of other families did. Max Benson went to school with my daughter, same, basically same age. Max was sent to, um, for a long time, I call it kicking the can down the road, really just, you know, denying access, denying services, denying help. Um, And ultimately kind of reached a point where the district decided, well, we can't meet his needs here and we're gonna send him away. And so a single mother, um, child was sent to a school That was probably 45 minutes to an hour away from our community. Um, Eventually, I mean, it it was really, turns to find out, come find out, it was really an abusive school. He was physically restrained for, oh my gosh. Yeah, well over an hour and ended up suffocating and dying. So (laughs) it's a horrific story. And the thing I think that really kind of the town that the story takes place in is is fairly small. I mean, it's not, you know, a major city in California. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a relatively small community, it's a university town. And the kind of lack of outrage or disgust with how the not only the the school district itself, but those that are kind of tasked with overseeing it, right? Our school board members, our yeah. superintendent kind of handle that. I think really was telling in, in that our kids often are just treated like less than human because of who they are in this world. And that's just not not okay. No, I mean, it's and there's, not. I mean, there's a couple of ways. I always say that, that um, being autistic, there's at least two different versions. Inversions mean, versions is the wrong word, obviously, but there are two different identities. It can be both a disabling condition and obviously it can be someone's identity. someone Mm -hmm. identifies very strongly as being autistic and that is the case for our daughter but what it really does is demean somebody and takes that identity identity away from them or shames them for it by saying either in max's case you don't even belong in our city
0: right
1: or in my daughter's case by saying you don't even belong in these classrooms right and you need to go home or you need to be homeschooled or you know right or you need to be in some sort of pulled out small setting where you're not allowed to interact with the rest of your peers.
0: Right. Is there a Daisy?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Daisy is actually the only name that was never changed.
0: Okay. Because that was such a compelling portion of the story to me that, that you got Daisy who certainly had her own issues and, and then Magda. Um, and it, having Daisy, you said at one point in the book having Daisy helped you understand Magda and um, I just, I thought, because I've never heard of a dog like that before and so to to see it in the book and, and the the way that you weave Daisy's story in is great and she and, and Magda in the book are very, very close yeah, because very they're close. similar and yeah. get each other. Yeah,
1: but she and, and this isn't I mean this is real she really kind of helped hopefully as you read the story you kind of catch that you know I myself as a parent start to shift in how I view right you can't help but adapt right as a parent right. you just you adapt but you also your your view about what disability is or what identity is really changes and with Daisy obviously we if anybody's ever had a new dog or a puppy you right you', you you, you, you do what you're told you're supposed to do, right? Is to to go through training, and, right. you know, formalize training and do stuff like that. But you ultimately, I mean, ultimately what I came to realize is that why are we trying to jam a square peg into a round hole, right? Like, and that's really kind of helped shape our view of how you approach disability. It's why, why in our school system are we trying to conform these kids into right. something they're not, as opposed to just accepting them. And helping them get the education that they're entitled to
0: yeah I I think that's such a great point and I it's hard to understand why why we miss that but you're right we we make accommodations for the physical things that we need so why wouldn't we make them when someone learns differently or or needs something different so when you moved schools was that was the next school better for Julia, <laughs> oh. you mean
1: with you mean within the in the, within the context of the story of the book? Or yeah. Within,
0: well, either you know, way, with, yeah.
1: Um, by the time not, I mean, I'm not sure how I many. Uh, I don't want to put any spoilers out there. So no, I that's a good finish, point. But, but it, the within the system that we were quote unquote fighting. Things really—it was just kind of same thing, different day. Okay. It just maybe looked a little bit different in certain locations. Ultimately, yeah, things did change uh, for the positive, but it, that really comes at a cost, right? Right. Every there's you, you know there's a there's a there's risk benefit to every choice that you make, and and one of the one of the risks really is is losing community, right? Right. In favor of. Um, you know, an academic setting that might be more accommodating um, or a little bit more disability aware. Right. But that caused, you know, you know, it was, it was big change for, for everyone in the family because it required upheaval. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. So how, how's Julia doing today?
1: Well, yeah, well, um, Mm -hmm. It's, you know, she I don't think has ever changed who she fundamentally is. How the world treats her is certainly different than how it was, you know, in, the, in those early years. It's interesting. Uh, my wife and I were looking at, um, you know, she's much more of a social media person than I am. But, you know, her, you know, Facebook will right. often remind you of pictures you took, you know, 10, 20 years ago. And there was one this morning of uh, both of them going to school. This is ten years ago, so what, that was in twenty thirteen. So I can, I want to say she was she would have been eight. Mm-hmm. So really smiley, happy, and I what really I think I always kind of still to this day struggle with is that kind of disappearing in favor of because i think she's become much more aware of how marginalized that marginalizing that experience was yeah so i don't want to say that she's she's jaded i think she that she's just kind of it it changed her right it was it was those years were a traumatic experience yeah if i can if you put a positive spin on it i think she's very actually much aware of it um and knows when those kind of feelings come up and knows where they're they're kind of what they're kind of rooted in Mm -hmm. she's got a you know she's in a she's in a great school now she's got a great friend group right she's she's doing really well well academically so I you know I'm I'm happy
0: yeah yeah that's all we want right it's for kids to be happy that's such an important thing so do you think the laws are better in California now than they were have they changed are people more open than they were? I mean, certainly there's people like your wife that are advocating now. So hopefully it's more, the public is more aware.
1: Now, I don't know that anything, I don't know that anything substantially really has changed. There was a Supreme, Supreme Court case, excuse me. I'm blanking on how I want to say it's somewhere between five and seven years ago, mm-hmm. relatively recent. Um, Andrews is the name of the complainant in the case that the court did decide that disabled children have the right to meaningful progress in school. And that that did, I think, change the framework of how some schools view how they should be applying these, these laws and yeah. these rules but i don't it's it's a there's at least two fundamental problems with the way the law, the law works the first one i've already talked about which is it's not immediately accepting right you have to you have to quote, kind of apply to get into it and there's hurdles that that you have to, to jump yeah. to get through it in order to qualify and and even once you're qualified what services you ultimately are entitled to are are kind of at, at the whim really of the team that is at that school. The other problem, the problem on the back side, is that there's no, you know, the law is the Individuals with Disability Education Act or IDEA. There's no IDEA policeman, right? There's no auditors. Right. The only way any of those issues ever rise to the surface and enact change, like in the Supreme Court case, is when the family files a complaint so you have to be the policeman of, right. of the law. No one in the district is policing it. They might have some kind of basic guardrails for compliance, but they're not going into each individual case and making sure that things are done being done according to the, to the law. So it really kind of puts the, all of the onus is on the families to not only negotiate and navigate the process, but if they are in disagreement with it, they're the ones that have to kind of push back and police it and file complaints. That's why I said earlier, I became I really became a professional complaint writer because right. that was really our that really was our only outlet, right? If you were taking issue with how things were being applied, you had to file complaints. You had to, you know, put a due first step was you had to file a due process complaint with your district, or you could file complaints with the office of civil rights with the state. But those are long timelines for mm-hmm. any any sort of resolution, and typically. You don't really get good resolution. Right. So, really, the only way you, as a parent, would ever really have teeth, is to hire an attorney and go through basically a civil process, right. which is how which is how that case ultimately landed in the Supreme Court. <laughs> but really, all that kind of did is narrowly define a very small, a small issue that families were dealing with. So, I don't know that things have gotten better. My wife's um, busier than ever. <laughs> <laughs> right helping families navigate this so it i don't know that much will structure these schools are are hurting now right for everything right i mean you i'm not sure what your locality is like but you hear about you know it's always threatening school closure because of lack of funds yeah Um, i mean even some basic you know janitorial and groundskeeping stuff has just gone by the wayside so i think public education in general is hurting so even if they kind of ratcheted up the rules and became more stringent with it, I don't know how it would have effective it would be and if you don't have personnel in place to actually put it in action.
0: Right. Which is why they need people like your wife to <laughs> <laughs> to help with that. Yeah. So what made you sit down and write this book? What what brought you to that point?
1: I, I It really was just the last thing I was talking about. It was repeated losses, failures, however you want to couch it, of trying to do it the quote-unquote right way. Right. Right, right? like I, we've, we tried everything. We met with administrators. we I'm really not a confrontational person. Neither is my wife. I mean, we'd rather sit down and come to some sort of agreement right. and then shake, shake hands and, and be done with it. And we are perfectly aware that you know that nothing's ever perfect. And I don't think we were ever asking for perfection. So we had r- kind of run repeatedly into this wall and at some point, it really kind of clicked that, you know, this isn't a one-off. Uh, we are not the only people dealing with this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And this is, you know, an ingrained, like, cultural problem with the way that special education is clearly administered here, likely administered across the state, and people that we're hearing with, you know, right. dealing with it across the, the country. So I, I really when you file those complaints you're basically i what i felt like was i'm screaming into a bucket right i'm screaming into a black hole no one's ever going to hear it they just want to you know cut their losses deal with it and move on so my thought really behind it was the only way to kind of get change going is to have kind of like a me too movement yeah right? like, yeah. And it, it needs to be kind of grassroots and it needs to be other parents that have gone through this feeling comfortable speaking up saying, yeah, you know what that happened to me too. And we also need a platform to be able to recruit allies, you know, people that haven't yeah. l- lived this life, but also, you know, feel very strongly right, that, you know, these children should be treated, the families should be treated fairly. So I kind of spun on it for a while. And one of the ways that I've, I kind of dealt with stress in general was just was writing Mm -hmm. and then at some point it kind of clicked well i wonder if i could actually turn this into a manuscript or make it read instead of filing another complaint make it read like a novel yeah and and get it so that people you know would could see themselves in the protagonist's shoes right right walk that with them and, and 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 navigate see what it takes to navigate this and hopefully then put some pressure right? And then I kind of end with that, right? Like reach out to your school board, reach out to your local politician, put some, if this is upsetting at all to you, put some pressure on the people around you that actually can influence change.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think something that maybe that you didn't intend to happen, but a lot of people said in the reviews of the book, which was one of the reasons I chose to read it is, I understand this, And it's so good to know I'm not alone. And you had talked earlier about the isolation that you and Lisa felt and other people are feeling that. And to read your book and and it is very well written. You can tell that you're not a confrontational man, but when somebody goes after your little girl, man, the papa bear in you just comes out, and that's okay. But I was very impressed that people are, they know what you feel, and so to read that it's not just me makes a difference. If nothing else, that makes a difference, so.
1: No, right. I mean, if really, if anything, if I can make one person feel like, you know, they're not walking that path alone, even though really the rules are kind of making them do that, Yeah, then, yeah. Then, then good. And I think it has. I mean, the comments have been very nice. A lot of the feedback in various forums has been really positive. But it's it's a tough, tough road for a lot of people. It is. And I needed to be a little bit cautious about, you know, I don't want something to be triggering for them, right? I don't need to, right. I don't need them to, you know, kind of relive their own PTSD, which is why I thought maybe a real specific, our story would maybe
0: make that a little bit easier right well Aaron thank you so much for spending some time with me today and sharing your story his book is 13 doors if you haven't read it it is an excellent book well written and maybe something we all need to know goes on in the world even if we don't face the same challenges that your family is is facing the more people that read the book and understand those challenges the better it will be for children down the road as they are facing some of these things. So thank you for writing the book yeah, and challenging me because this is a bit of a new world for me, and it, it was very challenging for me to read it and opened my eyes to a lot of things. And I appreciate you sharing your story.
1: Yeah, of course. I'm glad you read it. I'm glad you enjoyed it, and I appreciate the time.
0: Thank you so much.